Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to episode 61 of the Relaxed Dog Podcast, sponsored by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you very much for finding this show. Welcome back if you've listened before and welcome if this is your first time. I'd also like to say another thank you and that is to all of you that are sharing this program with your friends, whether that's hitting the, the share button on the device you're listening to it on or if you're physically talking about how awesome dogs are and all the great dogs that you've heard about on this podcast. Thank you very much again. My guest this week will be Marcia Davey. But first, in some doggy news, if you are in the uh, US, in the Boise, Idaho area, and you do, by whatever reason, lose your dog... You can contact a group of three ladies called Ladies and the Trap, who are a local volunteer group that will help you in putting up uh, dog posters as well as setting up traps. And they've uh, so far in the year or so that they've been going have helped more than 100 dogs get back home safely. Uh, if you know of a volunteer organisation that are doing something similar and you'd like me to give them a plug, just let me know because they're doing a great job. Now, you've got to love marketing and a lot of people are looking for different niches, uh, especially now in COVID times when a lot of people are staying home with their dogs a lot more. So a, a few companies seem to be marketing beers and wines for pets. And uh, yeah, look, just um, make sure you read what's on the label and consult your vet before trying to have a party with your dogs. And now this week's interview. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. I'm here with Marcia Davey. How are you this evening? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am tremendous. Even better now that uh, chatting with yourself. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little while, but I know it's going to be worth it. I hope so. so to let people know, who are we going to talk about this evening? We're going to talk about Winston who um, was quite an influential dog in, in, in my history and maybe emotional because I did lose him in April this year. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think I'm ready to talk about him, but he, he's definitely a worthy subject. Absolutely. And we'll just take it nice and easy. So, yes, no problem thanks. <laughs> As per usual, I'm going to ask you to go back in time and mm -hmm. talk to us about the, the hows and whys that you guys connected. Okay. So a, a little bit of background, I guess. Um, 
well, the story probably starts with Charlie, who was a cattle dog mix I rescued sometime in the 90s um, and have always been involved with dogs that grew up with dogs and things like that. But Charlie was the first dog that was mine. Um, and at 14, well, he, he, he was with me when we met my, when I met my husband and um, he had some problems. Um, the reason he was a rescue, I think, was because he, he um, couldn't round up the horses and being a healer was actually healing the horses and they were million dollar race horses. So he wasn't suitable for the job that he was purchased for. So he came into my care at about eight months old and had never really, I don't think, been socialized with humans, um, things like that. So um, he was my first dog. It was originally with a view to rehome him, but um, he stayed, of course. <laughs> and he he had his issues, one of which was quite possessive of me. And um, we did have a few run-ins with other dogs. Um, my sister's dog, um, another dog that we had, so my mum's dog, I guess, um, and a few other dogs that he pretty much tried to kill. And when I met my husband, he had a chihuahua and I thought for sure that was going to go badly. Um, <laughs> but it turned out he was really accepting of her and um, was her bodyguard and they had a really great relationship and she she lived to be in her mid-20s and we lost them both in the same year. So oh, he, he ended up with osteosarcoma um, and he was diagnosed in December. She was in her 20s and had a heart murmur for most of her life and her heart finally failed her in something like January or February in 2008. And then I lost Winston in about April 2000. Sorry, not Winston, Charlie. There we go. I'm already getting their names mixed up. Um, I lost Charlie in April and about April 2008. So we got three months of him with the osteosarcoma. We basically went with palliative care because it was in his skull. So it was pretty much inoperable um, to get a clean margin out of his skull. They would have had to take some of his brain and his eye and stuff. So that wasn't an option at the time. And um, yeah, so um, my husband and I, you know, having the two extremes, I guess, a tiny little chihuahua and a medium sized cattle dog mix, um, we were thinking about what kind of dog we would get next very cautiously. And we wanted something in between originally. And we had friends that bred Jack Russells and um, my sister was is, um, a groomer and she's also involved with beagle rescue. And so we were looking at beagles and all that kind of stuff. And it would have been about a year later and I was getting really antsy. I needed another dog in my life, being a dog person and growing up with them. And we went down the shop and it was the local IGA and outside that shop, they had a dog food donation bin for the local animal charity, which just happened to be Animal Welfare League, um, their local branch. And they had the pictures of the dogs available for adoption on the side of the dog donation bin. We used to always put food in there whenever we did some shopping as well. Um, and Winston drew my eye, a large, he, I think he had Ridgeback Cross on his adoption profile. Mm -hmm. Um about 12 months old at the time um, and it just something about his picture spoke to me. So I 
pretty much immediately rang the Animal Welfare League and it was around Easter. Um, so they were kind of closed and it took them a little while to get back in touch with us. But on Easter Sunday, we met the um, Lady Joanne out at one of the local boarding kennels where he was staying. He had been staying at her property, but she had been travelling for a wedding or something. So he was in the boarding kennels. So we went and met him there and he was initially a little standoffish and a little bit scared of Dean. He had some issues with with men, but um, I it was instant love. He was a big, much bigger than I was expecting. Um, he was already something like 38 kilos at about 12 months of age. Um, he'd been in care for something like six months already and he'd They'd um, got him out of the pound, out of the local Hawkesbury pound where he'd been impounded um, prior to that. So we didn't really have any history either on him um, other than his estimated age and his little bit of concern around men because apparently that was noted at the pound as well. Um, but apparently I said all the right things and did all the right things and Joanne said, sure, you can take him. So <laughs> we loaded him in the car and took him home and that was the start of a journey with a much bigger dog than we ever thought we'd get. <laughs> <laughs> How was that Basically. initial ride back? Um, it, it was interesting. He was very – he was curious about Dean and he, he certainly – he did get up on the centre console and give him a little kiss in the ear as we were driving off. Um, and then when we got him home, it was obviously all new place, um, things like that. So we, we just tried to go slow. We, we did stop off on the way home and, you know, stopped at pet stock or somewhere and bought a leash and a collar and um, a bowl and a bunch of other stuff because we'd gotten rid of a lot of that stuff after after Charlie and Misha. Misha was the chihuahua. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. Thus began the journey. I just started taking a bunch of photos because I'd always regretted not having as many photos as I wanted of Charlie and Misha. And um, he, he settled in pretty well. Um, he met the cat fairly quickly. Um, she was an old farm cat and very used to having dogs around. So she she showed him that, you know, pointy paws are something to be quite respected. Thank you very much. <laughs> very early on. And even though despite his size and she was she was a small cat too. Um, lots of people thought she was a kitten, even though she was quite senior. Um, she had it over him and they had one of the best blossoming relationships and he had a very healthy respect for her, but also realised she was warm and good to cuddle up to at times. Um, you know, a few a few things came out, like I, the the fear of men. He, he did struggle with Dean on and off. Um, just, you know, every day if if Dean went, stood up suddenly or went outside when Winston wasn't expecting it, it was... Um, a problem and he did bark at night a lot and um, at the time we were in a rental and we were trying to do the right thing and the rental said we weren't allowed to have pets inside we could only have him outside so we tried to do the right thing but barking all night um, and the way our property was it backed onto like a set of units mm -hmm. and so that all echoed up into everybody else's house so I did the old letterbox drop saying sorry we've got a new dog we're working on it <laughs> doing our best 
Um, but we ended up bringing him inside to sleep in the laundry and he was able to um, be okay in the tiled areas as long as we didn't take him on the carpet, which I guess was the bigger concern. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, he integrated really, really nicely and um, was kind of instantly my boy and I was able to build trust in him really, really quickly. And even the things that he was scared of sort of faded away when mostly when I was there. Um, he did prove very difficult to walk, um, being such a big dog. Um, he certainly had the power over me for sure. And he's very much, um, he's probably the first dog that has been so focused on the walk. He was, um, probably for a few weeks, didn't even sniff, didn't wee on walks, didn't poop on walks. It was just, right, we're walking, let's go. Mm. And it took him a few weeks to sort of settle in and go, oh, I can pee now and and start, you know, and I think that was also the start of him cocking his leg as well. Um, so he started marking on walks a little bit, but he still rarely ever pooped. Um, mm. But he was a big dog and I certainly looked like I didn't have control of him. And lots of people would pick up their little fluffies and cross the street so they didn't have to encounter us. Mm-hmm. So we kind of figured we needed help. <laughs> so we, we looked around to try and find a trainer. Um, most of the local trainers at the time, so this was around 2009, I guess. So we'd only had him for a few months when we decided we needed the help. And we looked around and most of them seemed to all be sort of board and train arrangements. And there wasn't a lot that actually came to you and helped you. And we weren't keen to send him away given how he was at the boarding kennel versus how he was when we got him home and his fear of men. I was sort of concerned about sending him away and breaking that bond and not being able to go on the journey with him. Um, So we finally found someone and she came to us and she helped us out. And I, I think it was the second lesson where my husband and I looked at each other and goes, she's teaching us, not the dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that whole penny dropped of it's it's us. Well, that, so congratulations you know, that you got it on the second lesson. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> we, we weren't battling for too long. Um, but, yeah, it was that realisation. Um, and after she left, we had this really great conversation that, yeah, you know, he obviously has to do some adjusting to live with us, but at the end of the day, he's a dog and we've got to respect him as a dog and the fact that his life is filtered through the fact that he's a dog and we need to bend a little as well to help him live with us better. So, yeah, we were able to integrate him a little bit more into our home um, despite the lease agreement. I hope our previous landlords aren't listening. Um, but <laughs> Too late now. You know, well, exactly. But we had to do that to to, to help him and, and, and build that bond with him a little bit better. Um, and after that, and we made that realisation, we absolutely made leaps and bounds with him. Um, I mean, there was still, it was, it was not smooth sailing. Um, he certainly chewed, like, a 12-month-old I thought was over the chewing, but no, apparently not. Um, the blanket we gave him, he chewed into something like 10 centimetre squares. He didn't eat them, 
but he made these tiny little squares and he distributed them in various spots in the yard. And then when you'd go out the back, he'd go and sit on one. And so this massive dog trying to squeeze himself onto this tiny 10 centimetre <laughs> square of blanket and sitting really tall so that he's only got his paws and things on the blanket. It was just ridiculous. And um, the fences were probably seven foot high and that overlapping fence paling so he couldn't see through them and he would bark a lot when he heard or saw people um mostly heard people walking past the house um and that was a property a problem because we were sort of in and behind um the mean fiddler pub so a lot of the times it would be two o'clock in the morning or something like or a group of drunkards or whatever making their way back home and he would hear that and you know, bark quite ferociously at the fence because he couldn't see what was going on as well. Wow, um, that's a big thing. I was just going to say also because you mentioned you had units there, and so that's a that's mm. a, a lot of sort of input for a, for a dog in that at that stage. Yeah, and and absolutely, the neighbours could look over into our yard. Um, we had an okay relationship with one of them that used to actually bring their kids into their bathroom and open their bathroom window so they could say hi to him from the window on the second floor, which was kind of creepy. But the um, but they were fine. The guy across a little bit though used to come out and smoke cigarettes on his balcony, and you could only you only knew he was there because of the glow of the cigarette. Um, and so he was kind of creepy because he would just sit there in silence smoking all night. And so Winston would catch this whiff of the cigarette and then bark in that general direction and it would echo around a little bit. And yeah, and people walking past, the, uh, you know, and then being up high as well, I guess, was a bit weird for him. But then the people walking past that he could feel close to and hear go past, he couldn't see or get to. And so he he was quite bad at the fence. Um, he chewed some of the um, knots in the wood out of the fence and gave himself some peep holes. Um, so you'd come home sometimes and see this eye up against the, the hole in the fence looking out at you, eyeballing you. Um, and then he'd try and stick his nose through as well. So I think we've got a photo somewhere of him sticking his nose through the hole in the gate where you used to have to reach through to unlatch it because um, his head just fit perfectly in that hole. Um, so he'd, he'd look and then put his nose through to sniff and then look again. Um, he chewed the clothesline. He pulled clothes off the line. Um, he didn't chew them. He'd just put them in a pile and sit on them. Um, so like he was nesting or something. Um, we were also behind a McDonald's there, um, in that area and, um, occasionally a McDonald's party or something, the balloons would float over into our yard and he'd have a real problem to trying to defend the property from balloons floating <laughs> over and um, things like that. So he, it was almost like he thought his job was, you know, protection dog. He was going to protect the property at all costs, um, especially if I was there alone. Um, so like I said, we, we bonded really well and I would, he, he was scared of um, high-vis jackets. So anyone that came to read, you know, the gas meter and the electricity meter um, or any tradies or the guy that came to mow our lawn, he hated him. Um, and then at the time I was working um, for Woolworths in their warehousing section project management and I had to wear high visibility myself. And so one day I walked down and he barked at me and then so we had to do some quick desensitization. Mm -hmm. um, so how did that go? Yeah. Um, quite well. Like I said, I think because he did trust me fairly hard and fairly quickly. He could get over things 
reasonably well as long as I was there to support him. But it did require me to, I had to quiet him, I guess, because while he was barking, it was impossible to sort of get through. He would, um, and he still did elements of this all his life where if he had a brain fart or a shot of adrenaline, he would start to just think he needed to do something x y and z whatever it was that was in his mind and he couldn't listen to you so it was really hard sometimes to get over that initial adrenaline rush um so what I ended up doing was just grabbing some treats and I sat down on the floor and just let him approach in his own time and then he was like suddenly it was like it dawned on him oh it's just you (laughs) and then after that he was okay and he would actually sniff first Mm-hmm. But if it was a man in high vis, he would still bark at them. But he would still sniff first instead of just reacting. So it was able to slow down that whole brain process for him a little bit, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that that helped him a lot. I think with some of that generalized anxiety towards men, um, except if they were wearing a hat or something else, changed the picture slightly. He was still quite suspicious. Um, and any man that he hadn't met before, he would still. He'd try to sniff first and then if he decided they didn't smell right, he'd still bark at them. So Especially if they were in high vis and wearing a hat. Yeah, like it was, yeah, trigger stacking or whatever you call it. So, yeah, he he was um, he was a bit selective. But if I invited a, a man into the yard or, you know, the lawnmower man he eventually got used to. Um, and, yeah, as long as it was by invitation. So my brother came to meet him one day and he – he wasn't happy about that at first, but then he was like, oh, <laughs> oh, mum says it's okay type thing. And yeah, he has a voice that's a bit dopey in my head, you know, um, poor old Winston. But um, yeah, he he seemed to rely on me, I guess, a little bit, little bit of a crutch in that regard where if it was something new, he would cope with it much better if I was there than if mm-hmm. he wasn't, uh, if I wasn't. But that's also what made him a good helper dog and I am I guess jumping ahead in the story a bit there but um, because he trusted me so well he was able to help me with clients when I started training myself so um, it, it it's a relationship that I certainly don't underestimate with you know looking for a potential dog in future it's, it's going to be hard to replicate that for sure I don't think that Anyone can ever truly replicate it because it's, it's it's two beings that have a unique connection. Yeah, and you can, right. Another two beings can have a, a another connection. It can be just as wonderful, but it, it's not the same. Yeah, and and that that's certainly something like Winston was never ever a replacement for Charlie and Misha either. It was always he's his own dog. And, you know, the, the, the trainer we hired taught us that a little bit as well because it's certainly in our instinct to sort of go, you know, I've had dogs all my life. Why is this one being difficult type thing? And, and we, we can't help but compare. Um, and especially if we, we get the same breed all the time, which has never been a problem in our house. We always get the rescues and the bitses and, and things. But it's, um, it's human nature to compare. And it's also human nature to forget. And, you know, even growing up with dogs, I think back and I don't remember mum ever hiring a trainer or getting help with a dog. We just, 
did what we did and we had dogs and they, you know, they never bit me in the face and I never got scared of them. And, but mum must have put some work in. And then when I get my first dog, Charlie, and he's a bit of a mess in some spaces, I had no clue like what to do or where to start. I knew that he was my buddy and, you know, I loved him. But looking back, if I knew then what I know now, he would have been a different dog too. Um, but we had a different bond and Winston certainly never was never intended to replace that. He was just, you know, it, it's an opportunity to, to love again, but probably in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did he have any other, when he was younger, uh, like doggy friends? Um, no, not really. We, we, um, well, I should say he, he did inspire me to go and study how to train dogs myself and start my own business being a dog trainer. So he absolutely influenced that. And in that, um, I actually went back to the animal welfare league and said, how can I help? I'm sure there's a million dogs out there like Winston that just need a little bit of help to get over certain things to make them more adoptable or whatever, you know, how can I help? And what they needed at the time was foster carers. So we did have a string of doggy friends. He was always welcoming of foster dogs. Um, And we were able to, to give back that way. It was, it was certainly very challenging because every dog we fostered, we, we would develop a different kind of bond with and want to keep that one. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I, I, we we sort of also started fostering because we we were thinking, should we get him a friend? Because at the time I was still also working as well as studying dog behaviour and as well as um, then trying to start a small business. And so, unfortunately, that did take me away from him more often than I wanted to. And um, obviously, my husband worked full time as well. And so we were like, well, maybe we should get a second dog. And so, our thought was, well, if we foster, and he's accepting, then maybe we'll just adopt one that we are foster and that that was kind of our way to test the waters with how accepting he would be and he was just accepting of everybody but then when they went to their homes he also was almost relieved it was like <laughs> <laughs> they're gone now and I have my mum back to myself or whatever I don't know I'm, I'm anthropomorphizing horribly here but um so we always made sure we gave him big big breaks so um we'd foster and then that dog would get adopted and we'd make sure we gave him a, at least a week break before we fostered again. And he would always get a toy <laughs> in between foster and he'd love to rip toys to absolute shreds. Um, <laughs> and then we'd get another foster and he'd be accepting and he'd show them the rules around the house and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so he had some friends, but they weren't, I guess, ever long-term ones. It was, you know, he'll he'll help them settle into a home life. We we give them some structure and some training, and then they move on and find their new home. And he gets his mum back for a while, and then he meets a new friend. And he was, yeah, amazingly accepting of all of those, all of those dogs, uh, nice. from coolies to border collies, um, beagles. He loved beagles, actually. I think they were his favourite to foster. Um, yeah, I was going to ask if you if you think that he had any sort of particular type of dog that he sort of enjoyed yeah. having around more than others. Yeah, I I think 
I think bagels. I don't know why. Um, I, I guess because we, we thought when we got him, he was a Ridgeback cross and I think they're in the hound group. We thought maybe there's a bit of kindred spirit coming out there. Like the Border Collies were, he had fun with them, but he always got tired. Playing with them was always tiring because <laughs> Border Collies are tiring. Whereas the Beagles, I guess, probably matched his energy a little bit more. Um, and he would always handicap in play. He would always lie down um, and make sure he was at their level for playing with the Beagles. So he he was always really polite that way. Um, and I think he was friends with my my sister's Beagle. So I, again, my sister was associated with Beagle Rescue and we often went to visit her and he loved his Auntie Cheryl as well. Um, and so a lot of her Beagles were transient as well because they were foster Beagles. Um, and he certainly, I think it was Frankie had the great time playing with. And there was another one, his name I can't remember. My sister has fostered so many Beagles. Um, Frank sticks in my memory though because he was a bit cheeky. Um, but her her Beagle, um, oh, why can't I remember her name? That's terrible. Uh, that's all right. I, th- I think she's passed now anyway. But, um, oh, and my sister also had a matriarch dog that was um, a Kelpie cross and she was beautiful and he got on really well with her as well. So um, I, I think he was kind of, he, he was sort of a softer dog in that he was willing to let anyone else lead <laughs> almost. It was um, we had a couple of instances at the dog park and or incidents at the dog park and it was because he was almost almost because he was led astray by another dog. So he was always kind of, you know, what what are the rules here? Oh, okay, we go and be an idiot over there. I'll just go and be an idiot over there with you. Um, so he was very, very leadable and I think he he, you know, as long as he followed the rules at my sister's house that the matriarch dog set out, he was happy. And as long as all the beagles did that as well and they had a good playtime, he was happy. And he was um, pretty good in that regard. But, yeah, he got on quite well with, with all of the beagles for sure. Oh, <laughs> One right. of his favourites for some reason. <laughs> I, have, I have photos somewhere of... Um, him playing tug with one of the beagles and he just laid down and let the beagle drag him the full length of the lounge room across because <laughs> he was just doing the dead weight thing while the beagle was pulling really hard and managed to drag him across the room. He was just happy to lie there and be dragged. Funny thing. Uh, they're very, love it how they're very intuitive to play like that. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Um, it, you mentioned. He ripped apart a few toys. Yes. So was he, that was his favourite sort of thing? And did he, what, what other favourite toys did he have? Definitely soft toys with squeakers. Um, the first time we bought a squeaky toy and squeaked it, the reaction on his face was just pure, unadulterated joy. Um, and he would always try and find the most, most vulnerable section of the toy and you know, chew the eye off or whatever so that he could make a little hole to pull the stuffing out. And then he'd work getting his nose in the hole to pull the stuffing out and he'd pull it out systematically and spit it out and pull it and spit it out. And then he'd find the squeaker and he'd squeak it until it was destroyed. And then he was happy to just hold on to the carcass for a long, long time. So I think I still have somewhere 
Yes, right on the floor today, actually, we found we had a flamingo toy and it, he de-stuffed it and removed its limbs and we still have the old flamingo's legs. Um, just the legs. I don't know where the body is, but we just have the empty legs that are all flat because they've got no stuffing in them floating around. Um, and, and that is probably every single toy he did that to until we got Roxy. And then because she did the same thing, it was almost like he would hold on to his toys for longer and go, well, I've still got mine. You've destroyed yours. This is mine. Um, so the the giraffe, which we, we gave them really boring names. So the flamingo was named Flammy and the giraffe was named Raffi. Um, so Raffi survived the longest and Raffi actually ended up getting cremated with him as well. So... We, we made sure that they were together till the end. But, yes, he loved his little Raffi and it was the one that he lauded over Roxy forever. I was like, yeah, still got mine. Yours is dead though, right? Ha, <laughs> ha. <laughs> and how old was he when you got Roxy? Uh, so Roxy was originally a foster dog and she's looking at me now because she knows I'm talking about her. She's quite happy being an only dog at the moment, I think, too. Um, so I'm just trying to think. So she probably came to us when she was nearly two and I think he's about two years older than her. So we, yeah, we probably got him, got her when he was maybe three-ish. I'm really bad with years and numbers anyway. Um, With with time passing, I'm terrible at, you know, the 90s was only 10 years ago, right? Um, So, yeah, it was something like that. Um, and she, she was a challenging one. She, um, came and went a couple of times. So we actually had different foster dogs in between her visits as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was the third time she was returned that we said, well, I guess she's ours. And, um, she came back into the property and was like, she'd never left. And it was, you know, she'd chosen us apparently, and we were just too stupid to see it. But um, once that decision was made, she was much more comfortable, but he wasn't. And it was actually the first time I saw him have real issues with another dog as well, which is a whole other story unto itself. But um, yeah, they, they went well together for a number of years and then the fight started and that certainly grew me as a dog trainer. Um, and it tends to be something that I try to help people with a lot now and I guess specialise in is multi-dog households and inter-dog aggression because they taught me a lot on managing multi-dog households and even though we still only really had two, I think there was one time we had to do an emergency foster and we had four on site at once. So we had the two foster dogs as well as those two. Um, So I, I very rarely managed anything more than three or four. Um, but for the long-term stuff, the, the foster dogs being more transient, it's sometimes like they understand and, you know, they, they pick their battles. I mean, Roxy wasn't super keen on having other females come to stay, but that was more manageable being short-term. When it's long-term and it's your own dogs and they're fighting, it's really confronting and, um, yeah, it taught me a lot. Taught me a lot. We got through it. I think their last fight was something like four years ago. So at least in his autumn years, he didn't have to 
put up with her fight, trying to bite his neck. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any favourite games to play? He definitely loved wrestling. So personal play was a huge thing. He And he would, you know, grab anything nearby. So if that was a toy or a blanket or something, he'd just be a complete derp and try to get you to chase him and and have a wrestle at the end. He was big fan of Chasey's. Um, with other dogs, he loved playing body face, but would also do the same thing where he'd grab something and run to try and get them to chase him. <laughs> he loved he loved running, but he'd get tired really quickly. So, you know, put him with the border collie for a little while and he'd, he'd be tired for a while. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely wrestling and, and cuddling. I think he was, he was a superstar cuddler, absolute superstar cuddler. He had no idea in his prime, he probably got to 55 kilos and, you know, that's not as big as some dogs, but um, when it's all sitting on your lap thinking it's a lap dog. (laughs) (laughs) And if he, if he decided that he wanted to get on mum's lap and he was going to have a nap, he would nap and it would be hours later and my legs would be numb and my bum would be seized up. But um, absolute superstar cuddler and did like to be holding. So if he if he wasn't on your lap, he would reach out with his paw and want to hold your hand or preferably be on your lap or have his head on your lap or just be touching you in some way. He was very, 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 very tactile, touchy-feely, would lean on you. Um, even on walks, he was all about the walk and wanted to keep moving. But if you stopped, he would just stop and lean on you. Um very, very tactile dog. Oh, nice. Yeah. I know mentioned before um, early on you were sleeping out in the laundry, but when you yes. moved house, how did that yes. change? Well, he actually inspired the entire move. This this property we bought because of him. Um, we're, we're on half an acre at semi-rural life. So our neighbours on one side, there's a about five or six blocks about the same size up to the end of the street. And then on the other side, it's properties of five acres and stuff. So um, nice and semi-rural and horse properties and turf farms around us. Um, But yeah, we we literally looked out here because also my mum had started living with us. And even though it was a four bedroom home, living with my mum again was also very confronting. (laughs) So... um, we, we wanted to find a place where we'd have space for the dog, but also a granny flat. So mm-hmm. when we found this place, it was perfect. And um, So how old yeah. would you have been when you made that move? Well, it would have only been, I think we'd only been, would have been another nine months. We got him and then it would have been another nine months before we moved out of that place in the hills because um, they put the rent up as well. So... Um, yeah, the, the timing just all worked out in the end. It was a very stressful year because we were going for the first homeowner's grant and it turned out that um, as the executor of his deceased father's estate, Dean had technically owned property before and so we had to go and get a thing saying that he didn't own it. He was just on the deed while it was transferred to the people it was sold to and blah, blah, blah. It was, yeah, big, big stressful time. But um, when we moved out here, he almost instantly relaxed. And I should clarify, we didn't foster till we moved out here as well. Um, so if the landlord is listening, we, we, didn't bring other, <laughs> we didn't bring other dogs into the place. We had a hard enough time cleaning the, fixing all the knots that he'd chewed out of the fence and um, 
fixing the clothesline and all the holes he dug, actually. I forgot to mention the hole digging. Um, but, yeah, he he instantly relaxed. He was a little stressed through the move because we were. But when we got out here and walked him around the property, it's um, mainly horse fencing and rural fencing, so he can see. And he stopped barking so much. He stopped the digging behaviour. He stopped so much behaviour. It was almost this instant relaxation. Still would bark at the postman because um, out here the postman actually drives up to your post box and puts mm-hmm. things in and drives away. And, so and the, the car is. pulling up. Yeah. <laughs> even even though they didn't really get out of the car, the high vis arm coming out of the car and him thinking, oh, you stopped in my driveway. Yeah. In the car. I, I was thinking yeah. on, on the posty bike. <laughs> no. No, they're, they're – um, I guess it's a big enough distance between properties and some of the streets around here that they just do it with a car out here. Except for some streets have a walking one. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the car would pull up essentially in the driveway and so Winston would be like, oh, there's visitors. Um, but, yeah, it was. it's, a, you know, we've got a nice big gate out the front and he can see through that and he could see the neighbours and he can see things. So, um how did he go with the, with the horses? Um, he was surprisingly fine. I think initially we all had some adjustment to the noises they make. Um, it, compared to living behind the mean fiddler in a McDonald's, out here is really dark and really quiet. <laughs> um, so in, in the hills, even, you know, two o'clock in the morning, the fiddler was still going and it was, you know um, – disco night or whatever on Saturday nights um, and the street lights, it would always be bright in, in our room. Even with the blinds closed, you could always see the lights seeping through. Out here, it's when it's dark, like it's already out there, it's pitch black um, and it's what, 7 p.m. It got dark at about 6, I think. And the, the horse property that we're back onto one um, that's always got horses Um I think there's a couple of resident ones and they, they also adjust. And hearing the sound of them running and hearing that noise they make at, you know, two o'clock in the morning, you're lying awake and it's really dark and then you hear this horse noise. It's like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, there's a monster in the yard. It took some adjusting, but um, he adjusted really well and I, I don't know if it's because he's a big dog and he sort of just looked at them and went, yeah, they're sort of dog-shaped, I don't know. Um, they obviously smell different and stuff. Um, I think to our benefit, a lot of the horses around here are used to having dogs as well, so there's not spooking and, and things like that if they see dogs or hear dogs barking. So um, that transition was really easy. Um, he did have a problem with our previous neighbour. Um, because he was a little bit iffy with some men um, with and the, unfortunately with the, the neighbour on one side, he's also on a half acre block. So it's still fairly close where um, at, the, at the property line, their garage was, you know, a couple of metres away from the fence and our house starts a couple of metres from the fence on this side. And so being able to see them there all the time, while it was initially okay, um, one day he had a bit of a reaction because I was in the yard with him and instead of 
being a big, brave dog, he actually ran behind my legs and barked at him from behind me. And so the neighbour teased him (laughs) and said, you know, and he'd already knew him. He knew his name. And so he said, oh, Winston, you're big scaredy cat. And so he kind of just teased him all the time after that. And Winston never really got to know him or like him. And so then when every foster dog came along, Winston would kind of say, hey, that guy's a bit of a dick. (laughs) So the foster dogs also learned to bark at the neighbour. And so, you know, neighbourly relations weren't always great. And they were cat breeders too. Um, That's the reason. (laughs) Yeah. And again, that took a bit of getting used to. So cats having sex at three o'clock in the morning, um, it's not, not something you necessarily want to wake up to. Um, but you know, it, it was, it was that uneasy. We don't complain about your cats. We, you don't complain about our dogs. So we're all good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still always a thing that in the backyard, if the neighbor was there, he'd get barked at and, um, he was much more of a problem than the horse or even the neighbor's dogs or, you know, one side that I think they might breed Jack Russell's the other side, they had, even though they bred cats, they also had a cattle dog and, um, they had a King Charles for a while and then they both passed away and then they got a long-haired dash hound and, um, yeah, didn't have any problems with any of them. It was just the, just the guy and, and his son when he moved in later on. So, um, interesting. So I'm I guess they the, don't. The cats were always kept in or did they occasionally? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, we did have one incident and that, that was a Roxy incident. Um, so Winston always had a very healthy respect of cats, um, having met our cat Bert at the time. Um, and like I said, she was very um, forthright in her interactions with him. Roxy, um, not so much, much more prey drive. And yes, unfortunately she did uh, one of their stud Japanese bobtails, beautiful cats, um, unfortunately escaped his enclosure and was in our yard and Roxy was faster than him. Mm. So that was sad and that certainly put a, a dent in further neighbourly relations. Um, but, yeah, we, we took care of everything and um, there may have been a chicken incident too, but I'm pretty sure that was a fox because Roxy was inside at the time. Mm-hmm. So, but... I think the fox brought their chicken over into our yard and um, that was also uncomfortable. But, you know, <laughs> we've, we've done lots of work with Roxy and cats now. So, but yeah, we're not talking about her. Winston was an angel. He was an absolute angel with cats. Oh, good. So having all that open space gives mm. it and kind of ask, complete the sentence, I can't believe my dog ate... Rat sack. Oh. Yes. So, I mean, I was surprised when I moved to Sydney many, many years ago, I was always told that things like mice and rats were much more sort of prevalent than I was from Canberra originally. Although we did have mice in Canberra, I don't know what the thing was. But, um, yeah, I never really experienced them until we moved out here and there were some big rats. Man, they were big. Um, and not, 
I guess, understanding exactly what RATSAC did or how it worked at the time. We just bought those throw packets that you can get where the rat eats the corner out of the packet mm-hmm. um, and then it's all good and I made sure that I only threw them in places in our garage that I thought were inaccessible to Winston and one day I went down into the garage and there was a packet that had been ripped open um, and it would it had, it had like bite marks like a rat would make um, and most of the contents was gone and I'm not sure, I guess, technically if he actually ate it, but the packet was certainly in his mouth and wet with his saliva and I certainly wasn't going to take any chances Uh, with that. So, yes, we rushed him to the emergency vet and um, they did say that he, he initially presented some clotting issues, so it's probable that he did eat it, but by the time we found we found that it was too far to make him vomit it. So they had to just put him on that course of vitamin K and um, monitor his clotting for a couple of weeks. We had to do that. Um, and yeah, um, after that I did research and found out that rats are actually palatable. It has to be so that the rats eat it, but dogs also find it palatable. And once they've eaten it once, they're more likely to return to it. Mm-hmm. So yes. we obviously banned it from our home after that. And if any rats decide to take up residence in our garage again, then um, we'll just let the cats go down there and take care of that instead. <laughs> so did you have but, many other trips to the vet? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, actually, our first vet trip when we moved out here wasn't great. The The vet um, said, oh, large breed, you'll be lucky to get eight years out of him. And Winston didn't like that vet anyway. Um, so we didn't go back to that one. But he, 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 did, he did love one of the other vet, the vet doctors at that particular practice. So we used to always book in and ask for her. Um, and she was probably the same size as him. Um, <laughs> lovely little lady, but I, I swear his wrists were bigger than he, than hers actually. Um, so it was it was quite funny to watch her, you know, holding him and giving him a vaccination and things like that. Um, but yes, he the rat sack. Um, I'm just trying to think what else we did. Think he had bloat one day. Um, and we were on our way to the emergency vet when he vomited and it turned out he had just eaten, oh, how much? Mum said she bought a five kilo bag of compost <laughs> and he just ate that all out of the garden. Oh. So he had five kilos of compost in his stomach and that's why he felt sick and was drooling and was bloated looking and exhibiting all the symptoms Um and really thirsty and dribbling and dry retching and not able to vomit and all that kind of stuff, all that concerning stuff. And yeah, halfway in the car, he vomited and felt instantly better. And I could tell straight away he's vomited, he's better. But we still went all the way and she did some obs on him and said, yep, looks like if he's, if he's vomited, it's not bloat anyway. Um, Cause you know, it turns on itself and they can't actually physically vomit. But um, yeah, we looked at what the vomit was and she was like, yeah, it's compost. Great. Mm. Good. He did like eating. 
he was extremely food motivated, but everything was delicious to him. Um, the neighbours sometimes, Chooks sometimes laid right next to the fence and he'd push his head through and eat the rotten eggs or roll in them if he could. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. So he did, <laughs> and he had very sensitive skin and a very sensitive stomach as well. So um, even mosquito bites he would react to. He had like a hay fever reaction and his skin would come up in lumps. Mm. So they did some biopsies on his lumps and it turned out, yes, it was just an allergy to something biting him. Um, What else? Oh, and then with the fights, yeah. So he had um, many wounds patched up. He had um, hematomas in both ears. So he had the x-ray film stitched to his ear to get the cartilage to rejoin and so he had a little bit of cauliflowering on the tips of his ears um, and Roxy managed to perform completely and utterly freak accident but in one of their fights she managed to pull out his jugular out of a four millimetre hole Wow! so it was like microsurgery the vet said if you hadn't told me a dog had done that I wouldn't believe you um, so yeah completely and utterly freak accident that her tooth caught it and pulled it out um yeah, he was always in the wars um, and she was just quicker than him. So he was always on the receiving end. He got her good a couple of times, but um, yeah, it was mostly for that. And that that's the one that sticks in my memory. I, I genuinely thought we were going to lose him that day that she got his jugular. Um, he lost so much blood. Um, but he came through, stayed overnight in the vet. They, it was such a, like I said, freak accident. And they, they said, look like microsurgery. They only needed to um, cauterize the vein. They didn't. He didn't even have a stitch in it. Like, <laughs> oh, and he was perfectly fine after that. Um, yeah, complete. Not a freak accident. But yeah, he, if he, if he liked the vet. Um, all the vet nurses always gave him treats. He was really very popular at the vet. Um, there was only that one that he didn't like, but once he, yeah, he was, he was excited. He loved his car rides too. Yeah. Going somewhere with mum. Yeah. It's the vet. I get treats. Yeah. Now we're going home. Yeah. Where was his spot in the car? Um, in the old, I had a Volkswagen Golf that was actually a company car. So, again, don't tell the people that own the car, but um, he just rode in the back seat on the leather <laughs> in that car. Then um, when I left that job because of Winston's inspiration to go and work in the animal industry, bless him, um, I got a Commodore wagon, so he just would ride in the back of the wagon um, looking out the window, obviously restrained with a um, rope to the cargo thingy. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got my current, the Holden Colorado, the the ute that I use for my business, and he just rode in the back seat. I've got one of those, um, what are they, dog hammocks or whatever they call in the back seat. Yep. And I so he just rode in the back seat. <laughs> yeah. And so he could always still kiss me, you know, give me ear licks and all that stuff in the back of the car. Oh, very nice. Did did you do any sort of like longer trips? Yeah. So my sister used to live just outside of Canberra in Captain's Flat. And so when we'd go to visit her, he'd come for the ride. And um, yeah, so that's a couple of hours, three hours, I think, to get there by the time you get off the highway and go out to Captain's Flat. I think he went to Canberra a couple of times with me as well. 
Um, loved a bit of a road trip. He was really good, actually. He would, he was very, very popular. Sometimes I, I took him as well to um, a couple of clients and things. So up to the Blue Mountains and um, in the city to Sydney Park, um, that dog-friendly park where everybody goes. Um, he came with me for one of those rides and Homebush and Silverwater. So he's been in a few places in Sydney. Um, nice. Yeah. So you- <clears throat> mentioned that he accompanied you on your job yes so how did that come about yeah so because he was pretty good like I said he was so accepting of just about every foster dog we had um he proved to be a really good helper dog and he I think it was more the trust I had relatively good verbal control and I mean certainly as a pet dog trainer I I didn't put a lot of obedience on him I just um, trained him control behaviors and things that made him easier to live with Um, and I think a lot of what I was able to do with him then as a helper dog with other pet dogs was to either demonstrate the behavior or help with things like reactivity and lots of that came through his trust of me he would be able to stay in a down stay while another dog walked past him because I was there supporting him and he was, he was trusting me with that. Um, he, he didn't do it often. It was just a few times. Um, I've also done a couple of um, behaviour assessments for people that are trying to get things like menacing or dangerous dog orders revoked. Um, so for, for counsel um, to, to do those, you, to get revoked, you, you have to wait the 12 months and you have to have that in place for 12 months and then the dog needs to be assessed. And so um, particularly if the order was put on because of an attack on another dog, it's important that you do assess how they are around another dog. And so having Winston there as, um, you know, an, an, an uninterested party, I guess, was mm-hmm. a really good way to be able to assess that. And um, see what their critical distance was and, and make sure that I was giving a well-rounded assessment so, so that council could make a good consideration as to whether that dog could have that order removed or not. Um, so he certainly came in handy from that point of view, but he, he wasn't, he certainly wasn't a demo dog. He certainly wasn't going to be any good at competition obedience <laughs> or anything like that. Um, but yeah, like I said, it 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 certainly helped me. Um, I've, things like loose loose leash walking, which is one of the hardest things to say. Um, he that was his ace. Like you know, sometimes when you're training dogs, they have one thing they're really super good at, and he he initially was really super good at stay. He would he could stay for days. I reckon if I asked him to, and then. When I went to um, the Chad Macken and Jay Jack seminar when they came to Australia a few years ago or many years ago now, right? Um, And I saw, I'd I'd already been trying to reapply some of um, Chad's work that I learned from the Josh Moran seminar previous to that um, with that pressure release kind of conversational leash work as well. Um, 
I'd already been trying to apply a little bit of that um, because the the trainer that we had called had given us a head collar and we were working on that and he would walk on that perfectly fine, but he also did hate it, even though I did a lot of work conditioning him to it. It still wasn't his preferred tool to walk on and um, I wanted to take him off that and put him back on a collar. So I started to experiment with that pressure release stuff and after the seminar with Chad and doing that, um, he does that little part where he takes everybody outside and you've got leashes and you do the pressure release on each other. Yep, I remember that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was Lexi that I was leading around. Um, he he just seemed to, when I was finally able to apply that a bit better instead of just watching videos, having felt that firsthand and, and hearing from Chad firsthand, something in both of us, the penny just dropped. And from then, that pretty much that weekend onwards, I walked him on a flat collar and he just got it and we just got it. And he was then able to demonstrate this is how it should feel when you're walking your dog instead of that pulling and stuff. And so he he started to demonstrate that a little bit more and probably more in – there was a couple of um, ladies and their dog that I used to go and do some sort of mini private group sessions with and he would come along and he would be their dog to, you know, the dog for the others to walk past and not react. And um, he would then demonstrate the loose leaf walking and things like that as well. So I didn't do it a lot, but um, for a couple of reactive clients, that group session for the, the walking and stuff, it was just easier to have him there sometimes. It's sometimes as a trainer, you can, you can do all the right things and sometimes the dog still doesn't get it. But when another dog does it and speaks dog to them, <laughs> mm-hmm. sometimes something happens as well. And um, sometimes it's not just the human you're demonstrating it for, it's the dog. It's really very strange, but it's, um, yeah. No, he. I don't think it's, it's, it's strange. I think it's yeah, just uh, another species and they're seeing their own acting out something like what, their guardian is intending for them to do and it's like, okay, ah, it's yeah. yeah. different ways of learning, I guess, yeah. just like people. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I mean, I I kind of underestimated it a little bit at first, you know, the, um, you, you do all the training and you learn all the dog behaviour and, you know, I was relatively successful with what I trained him and all the foster dogs that we that we did and I volunteered for a little while at the Hawkesbury shelter as well, or Hawkesbury pound. And I did some training with those guys and um, yeah, it's, I kind of underestimated just having another dog there sometimes to help you do that. Um, it can be really invaluable and Winston certainly filled that niche a little bit very well. Is there any sort of like any of the, interesting or individual habits that you haven't mentioned that you had? Habits. Um, oh, his probable worst habit was licking. <laughs> <laughs> Just that noise that his tongue made when he was licking in the middle of the night. Um, and we did have to reteach him where to sleep. When we first got him, we were like, yeah, it's fine. He's a big dog, but he can still sleep on the bed, right? Um, <laughs> until he pushed Dean out of bed one morning. 
So then we were like, no, we've got to retrain you to sleep on their bed on the floor. Um, and I didn't crate train him. And that was probably one of the things I do regret because he would, he would get hot and wander around the house at night. Um, I mean, thankfully one night he was out, um, we, we did eventually start putting him in a pen. So he, he had his own sort of little fold-out couch thing that he slept on. And um, I put a pen around it so that he couldn't wander around the house anymore because I didn't, I just didn't want him to do that anymore. It was bothering me. But there was one night um, before we started using the pen and there'd been some electrical fault in our stove and it had started to catch fire and we didn't know because it was like midnight. Wow. And um, we were asleep and he came and woke me up. And as I got closer to the kitchen, he was barking and reacting. And I went in and I realised that there was the stove was on fire and I turned the electricity off and <laughs> um, we replaced it the next day or we arranged replacement the next day. And, you know, it was only minor fire damage, but the fact that he detected that and woke me up, I was grateful for oh, and I want potential could have yeah. been, you know something yeah disaster yeah absolute disaster and I wonder based on his reactions I think he still would have if that had happened when he was in a in a crate or a pen that he still would have alerted us but it wouldn't have been as obvious I guess it might have taken me longer to wake up or whatever because he, he he literally came and head butted me stuck his nose in my face to wake me up um and I'm sure he would would have still found a way. He probably would have just stepped over the pen because honestly, it wasn't a big pen. It was just, you know, for a big dog, it was kind of ridiculous. But he was pretty good with boundaries and stuff. Um, but Roxy and all the foster dogs were always crate trained. And um, that was certainly one thing looking back. I was like, that's probably the one thing I wish I'd done. Um, but he still would have looked in a crate and it still would have made that horrible noise, licking noise. So I did have to teach him a stop. It wasn't just a leave it, it was stop. So stop just meant whatever you're doing now, stop it. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, but yeah, certainly certainly lots of lessons. The the pulling the clothes off the line. You know, I tried all the, the old wives' tales of Tabasco sauce and chili and um, digging holes, I tried putting his poop in it and all those things. But all those things all taught me something, you know. Um, yeah, the the turning out to like Tabasco sauce was a bit crazy. But <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty food motivated. But, um, yeah, like I mean, spicy. yeah, crazy dog, crazy dog, like this spicy food. But, yeah, he – um. Yeah, and I mean, he still had his brain fart moments too. He, if he he actually taught me the one thing, and I do say, and I probably should have said this right from the start, the one thing he taught me was patience. Everything was on Winston time. Mm -hmm. And if you got frustrated, he would have his brain fart. So if he thought you were frustrated with him, he couldn't listen. He stopped being able to listen to you and it was suddenly just every form of appeasement that you could possibly imagine. And anything I'd taught him, so I did teach him a few tricks, you know, like shake hands and crawl on the floor and do circles and things like that. He would just offer everything that he had ever been taught in case that was the thing you wanted. But he wouldn't listen. 
So we'd taught him a move because he he had this, there you go, another habit. He had a habit of lying in doorways. And if you went to step over him, that would be the exact moment he stood up. And so you'd end up being knocked over. (laughs) So I taught him a move so that if you were in the doorway, I ask you to move. It just means move out of the way. And he was great at it. But if you were already coming from a place of frustration, he would have his little shot of adrenaline and couldn't couldn't hear you say that. So um, him and my husband had some good old times with my husband screaming at him to just damn well move out of the way while he's doing <laughs> spins and circles and offering poor and no, 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 I just, I don't want any of those things. So he actually forced you to kind of stop and breathe and that is also translated so well to my work because that's also what I teach everybody. Mm. Say your cue and then stop and breathe and give them a chance to make the right decision. And that also helps with their learning longer term because if they're making the decision and then you're paying them for it, it sticks much better. And so teaching me that patience and being able to rein myself back in has been so key so all his bad habits were actually all good looking back yeah, and, and all habits, those bad so, habits so, so, yeah. it's, it's, uh, from from different points of view yeah and they're all the things I miss now obviously you know I'd give anything to hear him lick himself again as disgusting <laughs> as that sound was and and nose prints on the glass every window in this house I still haven't gotten all the nose prints off and there's still nose prints in the in my car windows some of it I just can't bring to remove because it's all his you know his remnants but he used to do that thing where he'd press his nose on the glass if he saw you coming and his lips would go funny and you'd see his little teeth in there and it was just the cutest thing all those things that you know and him lying in the way and having to ask him to move just so I could walk down the hallway to go to the bathroom and him going, oh, what are you doing? Are we going to the bathroom now? And always just waiting there and being so happy to see me. You know, last year with my health, I had to spend three or four weeks in hospital. And, you know, I come home and, oh, yay, mum's home. And, you know, it's just – and then he got in my way and he promptly sat on me and I was still – you know, I had a major surgery. I'm like, no, mate, you can't sit on me. Sorry. But, you know, he, I miss that. <laughs> mm. yeah. An awesome dog. Yeah. He was the boy. He had so many nicknames. <laughs> well, so many. Thank you very, very much for sharing all about Winston. And we, we got thank through. You. We did, and yes, did it was all over well. the place, <laughs> and I'm sure there's things that I miss saying. And but yeah, thank you. He he really did change my life, and speaking about him is an honour. Uh, so thank it's, you. It's an honour to to listen to his <laughs> life, to everything that you've said. Thanks. Thank you very very much again. There you go. I didn't even cry till the end. (laughs) (laughs) All good. Do you want to let people know where they can contact you and learn more about stuff that you do? Sure, sure. So my um, dog training business is named Porsonality. Um, So, you know, like personality but with paws, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I did want to represent as a pet dog trainer 
that I not about making robots. I wanted to keep the dog's personality, I guess. Nice. Um, so, yes, I'm on all the socials. Um, the main website's uh, personality.com.au, so P-A-W-S-O-N-A-L-I-T-Y.com.au. And I'm personality on Facebook and personality.au on Instagram and just Marcia Davy on Twitter but I don't do a lot on Twitter, um, got to confess. And I've also personality on YouTube, but there's not much in there, just a few things from puppy school um, at this time. But yeah, um, and Winston also inspired my logo. So my logo is a heart with three paw prints on it. And the biggest paw print is absolutely Winston right there, Beautiful. big dog. Thank so, you very, very much again. No problem. Thank you. And yeah, have a good night and we'll I'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks so much, Robert. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to make any suggestions, leave a comment or anything at all, really, maybe check out the Facebook group. That's the Relaxed Dog Podcast on Facebook. Until next time, stay safe. And remember, your dog is family.